Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit soundstruefoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, and today I'm here in the Sounds True studio with Justin Michael Williams. Justin is just turning 32 years old, and he's the author of a new Sounds True book, Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us. In addition to being an author and a meditation teacher, Justin is a top 20 recording artist. He uses music and meditation to wake up the world. Justin Michael Williams has dedicated himself to bringing the meditation practice that he calls freedom meditation, a particular empowering form of meditation to young people who are living in communities that are impacted by racism, poverty, and social injustice. Communities that are similar to the type of community in which Justin himself grew up. To achieve this goal of introducing freedom meditation to young people, Justin is partnering with the Sounds True Foundation to create the Stay Woke Give Back Tour. He'll be traveling to cities like his hometown of Pittsburgh, California, and Flint, Michigan, and Atlanta, Georgia, to introduce young people to freedom meditation, give away copies of his new book, Stay Woke, and make available a 40-day audio meditation series to any young person interested, which will be delivered via text message. You can learn more, and if you wish, choose to support the Stay Woke Give Back Tour at staywokegiveback.org. And now, here's my conversation with Justin Michael Williams. I'm here in the Sounds True studio face-to-face with Justin Michael Williams. Justin, welcome. Thank you, Tammy. It's so good for to be here with you. For our listeners who are meeting you for the very first time, can you share with them a bit of your background, the arc of how you came to write Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us? Well, I have to start with how I even got into meditation, you know, in the first place. And, you know, I, I grew up, I think there's a lot of people who grew up like I did, but with a lot of trauma. And I think many of us have so much trauma that's underneath. I grew up in a home with gunshot holes outside of my bedroom window and domestic violence, like, you know, quite literally seeing my mom get choked, you know, and abused and, uh, beaten really. Uh, remember one time in particular, her getting hit in the face with the remote control, and and I'm the only other guy in the house, and 
too little to do anything about it. But, this you was know, by someone she my was stepdad. Or, oh, okay. My stepdad, and they were together for a long time, and um, just so much trauma happening in the home, and then hiding in the closet, and I was gay but not out, and and just all these different things happening, and what I knew to do at that time and what I thought I needed to do was, okay, I if I'm just really smart, because this is the one thing that nobody can kind of mess with me on, if I'm just really smart, then I can get out. And that was my only mission, you know, at that point as a, as a kid was to get out. And I'm grateful to say that I did. You know, I ended up getting a full-ride scholarship, academics to go to UCLA. So I get out, I go to school, I'm getting good grades, I'm doing all this, but like, inside still felt exact I still felt exactly the same if not worse than I felt when I was at home dealing with all of that and I was like well what what's what do I do like if this doesn't work I'm living in freaking Westwood in a an apartment with extra money and none of this is changing anything and the kind of low point for me is uh so I'm about 5'11 six foot depending on how high my hair is yeah. <laughs> and <clears throat> I weigh like 160 165 now and I had an eating disorder in college that I think was just a manifestation of all the trauma you know coming up and um I weighed 115 pounds at my lowest which is like really tiny and uh one of the things that got recommended to me was to try yoga and so at first it was just a physical practice and for me I was like yoga you know, like what, you know, so I'm just this 18 year old black dude, you know, didn't know any black people doing yoga. I had to ask, like, I was like, isn't that like a cult? Like, what is that? And luckily UCLA has a great yoga program. So I start with the physical practice, fall madly in love with it and start getting something really beautiful and spiritual from it, which was really powerful for me. Cause when I left high school, I, uh, kind of, I grew up Catholic and really like ran far away from that when I left to college and this was kind of introducing me into spirituality in a different way. And, um, then meditation got recommended to me and I tried to go to a class and I didn't like it. And I, I really had the experience that I think a lot of people have their first time meditating, just like, this does not work. Like what's going on? I'm hungry. I'm tired. Oh my God. I'm watching the clock. I have to sit here for how much longer, you know? And, um, then that night, this was this is one of those like divine intervention moments where go to this meditation class that day. That night, my friend calls me and is like, hey, come with me to this party. I'm like, okay, I don't even know whose party it is. Go to the party, sit down in a chair within like 10 minutes of arriving at the party. And this older guy comes and sits next to me. And so just like giving people a, a picture, you know, he's 60 something year old, older white man. I'm a early 20 year old something young black gay dude who's like totally flaming with like I think I was wearing like a deep v-neck American apparel t-shirt that was like highlighter pink or something and he just was like hey young man how was your day and I'm like oh it was good I uh I went to this meditation thing have you ever heard about meditation that's what I said to him and little did I know I was sitting next to Lauren Roche who is sounds true author meditation scholar Sanskrit scholar yeah you know, for all these years. And he didn't let me on in that moment to, to the fact that he was a teacher. He just was like, oh, well, why do you want to meditate? And so I start telling him about, you know, the gunshot holes outside of my house. I start telling him about everything that I was trying that wasn't working and about how I grew up 
And he just took out a piece of paper and wrote his name down on the corner of this page and tore it off and hands it to me. And he's like, all right, kid, if you want to learn how to meditate, like come meet me at the beach at 9.45 tomorrow at Ocean Park Boulevard. And I like grabbed this paper and I was just like, what the hell? This man's trying to pick me up. Like, what is going on, you know? And and then one of my, my friend who invited me told me, no, Justin, he's not trying to pick you up. This dude is like, here's who he is, whatever. Right. So needless to say, I, I skipped class and I go to the beach the next day. And um, everything changed. Everything changed that day. Like, I just remember like the qual- the way that I felt when he initiated me into my first real meditation practice. And I'm talking like the first time I didn't feel like I was trying to meditate, like trying to get my mind to stop, but I actually dropped into that space that I love that like Dan Siegel calls the plane of possibility or this, you know, space of pure awareness to just go there. For somebody like me who I think has just been, had been just like jacked up all the time, like anxious and nervous and afraid all the time. It was such a big deal. And uh, we finished the practice that day and he helped me create my own mantra that day. And uh, I, uh, the rest of my life was, was different from that moment on. So basically what happened is I finished that practice and he said, all right, kid, like go try this for two weeks every day. Check in with me every day. If it works for you, I'll teach you everything I know. And I'm like, why? Why Why would you want to do that? And he just said, I've never seen someone who looks like you, who's been through what you've been through. I have to remember, this is a decade ago, you know? Um, never seen somebody who's been through what you've been through and has the makeup that you have interested in this practice. I've never taught anyone like you. And I think one day there's going to be people who need to hear your voice, who don't need to hear mine. And so I ended up apprenticing with him for like three years and traveling and helping him build his teacher training program. And he's still a great mentor to me today. And that's what got me on the path first to just practicing. And then slowly I, I just started sharing this very casually with, with people. And then I started getting asked to teach. And, and then now a book is happening. And it's, it's just the biggest blessing because people always ask me, like, why, why do you teach meditation? Because, you know, they know I'm a musician and this and that. And I say, well, I wouldn't. There's no way I would be who I am today without this practice. No way. I'd probably be doing drugs somewhere in a basement in New York with like a bunch of people, you know? And this practice has saved me and helped me overcome so many obstacles and helped me take action in my life and helped me find my purpose. And it's just so important to me to share this with everybody, especially uh, people who are overcoming struggles like I had to overcome when I was a, a kid. The subtitle of the book, Meditation for the Rest of Us. Mm-hmm. How is a meditation guide for the rest of us different than all of the other meditation guides that have been published, the many, many, many hundreds, thousands of meditation guides? Yeah. Um, can I read a little section sure. for you from the, from the book for a second? So I think this is a really important thing to say because one of the first things when we were actually writing, it was one of the, I didn't have this in there before. And it was one of the pieces of feedback from our first readers that they said, well, who's, who's us? Who is the rest of us? Is this for me? Or is this, is this only for black people? Is this only for whatever? And so I put this, it's on, on page three. 
It says, for my black brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my women who've had enough, this is for you. For my starving artists and workaholic creatives, this is for you. For my conscious entrepreneurs who want to make an impact, this is for you. For those who have been discriminated against for their otherness, this is for you. For my social justice warriors, this is for you. For my tree-loving planet savers, this is for you. And for all people of color, and everyone who is woke enough to understand why I'm even pointing that out in the first place. This is for you. This book is for us, for the people. And it's a, that's a really important part of the book for me and, and really the reason why I, I even said yes to writing it because I haven't found any book or teachings that, that name and put the context in which these communities are and the, the issues and very unique struggles that these communities are facing and intersect that with the meditation practice in a way that's very direct. Like here are things that you are overcoming. Here are things that your community is dealing with. Like I have practices in the back of the book for social justice and for dealing with privilege and for dealing with prejudice and when you don't belong and you know, for people who are in the closet and for the environment. And I don't see a lot of books calling us to action and this book really helps us take action through the practice of meditation you write we need a type of meditation that doesn't pretend that struggle doesn't exist mm -hmm. how is meditation taught differently when we're not pretending that struggle doesn't exist mm. so i think by now most people probably listening to this have heard the, the word spiritual bypassing at this point sure right and so like i find that so well let me not name what's wrong with other things. I'm just going to say what I think this does a little bit differently. And what I do is I take people through a process of deciding what their vision is for their life and for the world. And, there, and that really expands this definition of what we think we are as a separate self. And so like as we learn to identify who we want to become, and what our vision of service is for the world and for justice and for equality and for the planet. We look at that and we use the practice to help us identify those things so that it comes from our heart and not from our just from our heads. And then we go into the second stage, which for me is called like alignment. So it's like, okay, here's the vision of, of what I want for the world. And now how do I align with that? And not in this like, woo woo, like let me align my vibration. Yeah, we do that. But like in your actions, in who you are being in the world and what you're thinking, what toxic habits and patterns and beliefs have been implanted to you or passed down to you from generations. Like you look at people like black people, you know, as an African-American man, like the some of the patterns and beliefs that are ingrained into my programming are things that have come from slavery, you know? And so like, how do I actually look at these things and take can you give me a specific example yeah of that? Yeah, yeah i'll give you i'll give you a very clear example so <laughs> so there's a few and I'm, I'm wanting to think of which is the most potent to share with you but i think what's wanting to come through is this thing about the church and religion and these practices and mindfulness practices and these different teachings being against our religion. And when I was when I was younger and I started meditating, my grandma and my mom like 
literally tried to have an intervention. They thought I joined a cult and they tried, they were like, what is this stuff that you're doing? You're selling your soul to the devil, you know, all these different kinds of things. And I'll, I'll name religion as one because it's not unique just to black people, right? But in, in black and brown communities, I cannot even, I literally cannot even get them to hear me talking about meditation if I don't name this right at the top. When I was just teaching in Southside Chicago, I asked, first off, I said, how many of you think meditation is worshiping the devil? There were 60 women in the room, about 20 of them raised their hands. Wow. Today, you know, this was just a month ago. And this is what is being fed to these communities. But the thing is, is when we look at the history of how these religions were even passed on to and why they were brought to these communities as a system of control to keep you in your place so that you can be doing these specific things that the slave owners want you to do, you know? And when we look at actual African diaspora religions and even Christianity as a religion in Africa before slavery, we see that the way Christianity actually looked and the way religion for African people before America actually looked, what it was so inclusive and it, it involved nature and it involved crystals and it involved the sun and all, and mindfulness, not with that name, you know, it involved all of this and all of that got stripped away and given this dogmatic thing. And I'm not saying that Christianity is bad. I'm not naming, I'm not saying that in any way. I want to be clear. I'm saying that some of the, things that we are taught are not for us end up blocking us from becoming who we were meant to be and blocking us from be, being able to do more. And so that's an example of something that gets passed down without us even thinking about it. It's just what we knew to be true, you know? And there's many other ways that this shows up for people. Um, and in this book in particular, I name them. And I say, you know, just about religion in particular, that this practice doesn't have freedom meditation, the type that I teach, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be religious. And I, what I believe is that if you are a religious person, what this practice will do is it will help you connect more intimately and more deeply and more directly with your source of higher power, whether it's God or the universe or whatever. And if you're not religious and you don't believe in any of that, which I'm pretty sure most people listening to this have some kind of spiritual practice, but that's fine. It just helps you connect to the highest version of yourself. And so all beliefs are welcome. You know, what I really believe is that prayer is when we speak to our source of higher power and meditation is when we listen to the messages coming back to us. And so many of us spend so much time asking, show me the way, what do I do? Show me, show me. But we never get taught how to listen to what we're supposed to do. And so just naming some of this, like you should have seen in this room with these women who literally raised their hand and said, worshiping the devil and they're devout Christians, to see them excited about their mantra and excited about meditating. I don't know any other teacher that I've ever been to who started their workshop with that question. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that when you were on the beach with Lauren Roach, you yeah. said he initiated you and that you discovered your mantra. Yeah. And, you know, I have to be honest with you, Justin, when I got to the part of the book, Stay Woke, where you talk about how we can each learn our own mantra and you talk about it as discovering our unique energy signature, I really lit up. I'd, I'd never heard this anywhere before. So I'd love to know what happened on the beach yeah. 
And then how do you teach people how to discover a mantra that's not based on some foreign language or something that they have to pay thousands of dollars yep. to an organization? I'm going to find my own mantra. Yeah. Like, I, I really believe, and this is something Lauren said to me early on, that the real point of meditation is to realize the gurus inside of you. And so why do we always have to look for these external things to tell us what it is that we need, quotes, air quotes, need to be okay or to be fulfilled? And what happened to me on the beach that day, it was a game changer. So perspective. When I arrived on that beach, I was completely miserable inside, even though the outside of my life looked like I had everything. It had everything that I had tried and set out to do. I was totally miserable. I think at that point I had just finished a ridiculous, like I did a 10 day ice fast when I was dealing with like my anorexia and all this kind of stuff and really feeling so stuck in a major going towards a major that I didn't really want. Like everything was off. And I realized that I had built my life. I realized this really in hindsight, but that I was building my life based on everyone else's expectations of what they wanted me to be. Because that's how I learned as a kid to be loved. You know, like if I shape shift into this for you, you'll love me. And so I became this chameleon, but didn't know my center. And so Lauren, what actually happened, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. We're sitting there with our feet in the sand sun is shining the waves are like coming crashing up pretty close and he just says close your eyes and he asked me he said if you could be bathed and soothed by any energy and if that energy could help you become the person that when you close your eyes you know you were put on this earth to be what would that energy be if you could get it out of an atm anytime you needed it if you could let it fill you up and bathe and soothe you in every crevice of your inner and outer being, what would that energy be? Name it. Use one, two, or three words and name it. And instantly, I just said, complete authenticity. That's what I needed. In that moment in my life, I needed complete authenticity because I knew if I could be myself, if I, if I could get to the point where I actually could be completely and fully, authentically Justin, then everything would change because nothing in my life was, was authentic. I didn't even know what that meant. So if I could cultivate that, huh. and so I just felt this resonance with it so deeply that like, like that is what I need. And it wasn't, you know, as I went to some other classes, you know, Om Shri Mahalakshmi Namaha. Great. Yes, I'd love to manifest abundance. And I use those kind of mantras sometimes too. There's nothing wrong with those. But there was something different about this one because it came from within. And when you teach people to find that unique energy signature mm -hmm. and to language it, how then do they work with that? those words, two, three words? These are my words. Yeah. 
I, 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 so in the book, I take people through like a several steps of trying on the mantra and and I I describe it really interestingly. Like it's kind of like the first time with it is kind of like a first date, (laughs) you know, like, all right, do I like this or do I not? Or even like trying on a new pair of jeans. First, you look at it on the shelf and you're like, oh, these look cute. And then you put them on and you're like, oh no, like these jeans are not going to work. Make my ass look like square, you know? And sometimes that happens with people's mantra. So the first thing I tell them to do is try it on. And the way that I encourage people to try it on is in a few different ways. It's um, saying the words either out loud in your practice, like first taking a few breaths, getting silent, closing your eyes if you're comfortable, and then trying to say the words out loud. And if saying them out loud doesn't feel good, fine. Try repeating it silently in your mind. If repeating it silently doesn't feel good, try whispering it very tenderly. See how that feels. And try even repeating it in rhythm with your breath. So like inhaling your mantra and exhaling your mantra. If those don't resonate, imagining that the like essence of the mantra as a color or an energy coming in and out of your body as you breathe. You know, there's so many ways that I just, that we can experience that our mantra is more than just this kind of like Joppa style repetitive repetition that we're trying to block our thoughts out. That's not the way that I teach. I, I like to use the mantra as kind of an anchor point that we have permission to drift away from, but that we also have a place to anchor back to so that we don't get too far off. And what I really believe is that uh, any thoughts that come up, not all of them, but oftentimes the thoughts that come up in our meditation, if you're saying your mantra is confidence, like I am confident, then usually the thoughts that are to come up are the things in your life that you're not feeling so confident about or the places that you are confident, the places you could exude more confidence, the places that you're holding back. So oftentimes I find like the mantra that you choose is kind of like this bait that uniquely lures these places in your life that need healing. And then the mantra bathes and soothes it and either shows you where you need to do more work in your life or it just kind of heals it and helps it release. And it becomes this really magical experience for people. My favorite mantra that anybody's ever said to me and actually included it in a book is, I am Beyonce. (laughs) Yeah, I remember this kid. It was so cute. We were like going around the group and I have everybody share their mantras and everyone's like, peace and love and safety. And I get to this kid named Galen and he goes, Beyonce. (laughs) I I was like, I got you, kid. I got it. (laughs) So could be anything. Well, you know, what's so interesting to me, not just about this mantra practice, but the way that you teach meditation for the rest of us is you make it really, I'm just going to say a three-letter word, fun, yes, enjoyable, luscious, alive, vibrant. And you're, you actually come out pretty strong that meditation doesn't need to be boring. No. And you even go so far as to say something that I thought was kind of taboo. Stillness is overrated. Yeah. And you introduce the idea that our meditation can have a level of dynamic movement in it. Yeah. So talk some about that and how your whole view of meditation for the rest of us Mm -hmm. takes it out of this monastic renunciate form and brings it into this different kind of alive i'm using the word luscious i love it because that's the way it felt to me and the way you teach meditation thank you and that's my intention because really it's like it doesn't have to be so damn serious it really doesn't And, and like and i think that's the reason so many people are turned off by it like okay there are a lot of people meditating in the world and i would say 
and there are even more people who are not, right? And then of the people who are, air quotes, meditating, many people are saying they're meditating, but really what they're doing is kind of like beating themselves up in their heads the whole time because they feel like they're doing something wrong. They're not, they're, they're thinking too much and they're trying to stop thinking. No, like this is all, it's like, why would we spend all this time practicing beating ourselves up? Like, let's practice something that makes us come more alive. And that's really why I teach meditation, like so that we can become more connected to our passions, more connected to our purpose, more connected to our emotions, the full range of them, you know, and to the people that we love and and our and our social justice movements and our movements for equality. Like, let's use this practice to connect us more deeply, you know, and I think that um, many styles out there, which I don't, again, I think there are uses and benefits of all of them. But for me, the styles that disconnect me or try to disassociate me from my emotions or from my thoughts or from what I'm, what's going on and what I'm feeling in my body, like if my leg is hurting in meditation and you're telling me I can't move, why? What, explain to me why. You know, and that those are the questions that I have because really the neuroscience says that if my body is uncomfortable, my brain's going to have a harder time dropping in because the body-mind system is going to like keep forcing me to try to be more comfortable. So why don't we allow ourselves to move? And and so when I really got into my practice, something that really helped me was allowing myself to pulse and sway a little bit. And so I have this practice in the book that's called Pulse. For, let's do it. Let's do let's it. Do it? Let's do okay. it. Let's pulse. Cool. So it's really simple. Um, you just sit however you want. And uh, in the book, this is called Pulse for, for people who hate sitting still. And... What you'll do is, well, you would first incorporate a mantra into your practice. So feel free for now to just use any word that you feel like you might need to cultivate more of this energy in your life right now, just for this moment. It can be a temporary mantra. And as you breathe in, imagine yourself filling yourself up with the energy of that mantra. And as you breathe out, allow yourself to let go of anything that is out of alignment with that mantra and intention that you have. And now as you breathe, I want you to let yourself just subtly sway forward and backwards with your breath. So you'll notice that naturally as you inhale, your body expands a little bit and maybe moves back or sideways. And as you exhale, your body naturally contracts and maybe collapses a little bit. And so keep just moving with the rhythm of your breath. And now for the sake of this practice, so you can feel it, I want you to exaggerate this a little bit. And if you close your eyes, it makes it a little easier to get comfortable. And exaggerate the movement to the point where you kind of let your head and neck even roll around a little bit, but keep the mantra present. And keep the rhythm of your movements attached to your breathing patterns. And now we're going to push this even just a little bit further. And I like to push this further so you can come back. And as you pulse, now just let your arms sway up and down a little bit with your breath. So maybe inhale, let your arms come up just a little bit like wings or however feels good to you. Then as you exhale, let the hands and the arms drop down a little bit. Keep letting yourself pulse and the head and neck roll. 
And for three breaths, just keep doing this on your own. And with each inhale, infuse your body and your energy field with your mantra like you're doing a slow dance through water, through honey. So we're not doing any choreography. We're just letting the body just move. We'll take one more breath in. And on the exhale, just come back to center. And open your eyes. What did that feel like for you? I loved it, and it made me feel a little bit like a snake dance of, yeah. of some kind. But it also made me think how in the Jewish tradition, people daven or go back and forth when they're praying. And it made me think of the black church mm-hmm. and the movement and singing and your work of meditation for the rest of us not locking people in to an Eastern imported tradition, working with Sanskrit language, as we talked about before with the mantra, and that really what you're doing, and I want you to be really explicit about it, is by having a personal goal of teaching and introducing meditation to people who have not felt drawn to it in the way perhaps that it's been taught previously, you're having to make these adjustments. I mean, that's how it might yeah. catch on. Yeah. And, and, and it's and the real thing is, Tammy, so first of all, for some people, they hate the movement. And and that, what I love about this is that's fine. You don't have to move. Like I, I'm just offering it as an option. And some people are like, oh, wait, I can move when I meditate? You know, and for people normally, I don't recommend like standing up and doing a whole dance routine. You know, I mean, maybe you can try that later. But but what I what I know from my experience and from the experiences of many of the communities that I'm in and have taught in and have lived in is healing in communities of color and heal like it looks like dance it looks like song it looked like historically when you see like African children at a funeral or going through trauma what are they doing they're dancing in ritual and throughout human history we look at the native american traditions and latino traditions and you know so many really even even indian traditions really there's there's movement in in everything and it's an important part and i think it's something that has often been so disconnected in our meditation practices and i think maybe even you know th- there are many reasons for that and i think that bringing these things back which are so natural to us make the practice more fun, more accessible, and easier to integrate into our lives because we don't, we're not being asked to do something that feels so stiff and boring and unnatural to us. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a flyer here and Go. try something on you, Justin. Yep. Because now, you know, I've known you for uh, about six months. We've mm-hmm. worked together. We've worked together to create with the Sounds True Foundation this Stay Woke Give Back tour that will talk more about as our conversation progresses here. But what I've seen is that there's a type of light inside, a creative light. It's turned on in you. Mm. It's like the, the, the lamp inside has been lit. It's on. <laughs> and you know how to access it. And now you know how to help. You're a torch bearer. Now you're helping light that in other people. And the type of meditation you teach, you call it freedom meditation, which I just love. If you were to summarize, how does the 
way that you both learned meditation from Lauren and the way that you teach it, turn that light on yeah. inside. Yeah, that's, thank you. Um, and thank you, Tammy, for that. That's, uh, thank you. And I think, not I think, I know from my own practice and from the way that I've experienced now sharing it with other people is when you're allowed and given permission, oftentimes we just need permission. Like people are always asking me, is this okay? Am I doing this right? Is this all right? You know, and we're given permission to access the creative energy that is within us all. Like this power is in every single one of us, but it's been shut down and muted and covered and blocked by so many different things, by the traumas and the things that we faced and by many of our churches or our religions or our parents or whatever external circumstances have told us like we're not good enough or this is not for us or you know, we're going to look stupid or whatever it is. And we get these thoughts and these limiting beliefs on ourselves. And what I find is that you know, I appreciate you telling me that I'm like carrying the torch, but I think I'm just like creating the space for the fire to burn within everybody that's already there. Like no one's, I don't ever find that anyone's fire is completely turned off. You know, it's that light is not completely turned off. It's just so covered and oftentimes so dim and, and blocked by so many things. And what I find this practice does is it helps you see the things that are blocking it and when you're in a regular practice and when we come at it from a place that we're really enjoying it and with the purpose of becoming something more for ourselves then we're able to let go of a lot of these layers in a very direct way and that's why in the way that I teach it, it's not like oh by just happenstance we're gonna let go of our toxic habits that are holding us back like I have people in the book name and and go through a guided meditation that helps them look at what are those habits in your life. Let's write them down. Let's figure out what they are and then make an action plan that we're going to use mindfulness to help us stay in alignment with it to actually let these things go and release them in our lives. And and some of these things, like I said in the beginning, have been so ingrained into who we've become and who we think we are, but they're blocking us from who we really want to be. So that's how I help people turn on the light. Can you give a example from your own life of a toxic habit that you transformed that was blocking your light? Yeah. So I have many um, that I've had to go through. I'll share probably my most recent and most vulnerable one with you. Um, Complete authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go. I just, if you, I was silent for a second. I was like, all right, are we going to go here? Yes, we're going to go here. So um, a year and a half ago I and and I just want to give you some context like I've been really really focused on for the last five or six years on prioritizing my connection to spirit above everything else that I possibly can and for me that meant looking at the ways that I was my own poison in my life and the things that were keeping me cloudy and, and in that way and so over the last five years I gave up drinking alcohol I gave up porn, which for guys, you know, can often be a big habit and, uh, gave up caffeine and gave up smoking weed and, you know, being California, you know, all these things in a creative space can be a really big deal. And I want to say before I go into this, cause I think this is a really important point is that I don't believe that anything is really inherently toxic. Like most, most things, pretty much everything is, is just neutral. But what I tell people is you have to look at who you want to become. 
Who do you want to be? What is your vision for your life and for the world? Who do you want to be? And then when we look at any habit or any action that we're taking in our lives, we have this vision as a filter. So we ask ourselves, is this habit that I'm questioning or that I'm engaging in, is it taking me closer to who do I want to become or is it taking me further away? Closer or further away. And so in this way, we learn that like something can be toxic for me, Tammy, but not for you. You know, or toxic for me now, but not maybe not later. And so I like to say that anytime I talk about this because alcohol and caffeine and none of these things are inherently bad, you know? But if you're somebody who says, oh, I have, um, I don't, I want to go after my passion project or I want to write a book, but I don't have any time. I never have time. But you're watching four seasons of whatever on Netflix every night, then watching TV is actually your one of your biggest toxic habits that's taking you away from your goals. Is TV toxic? No. But for you, it might be. So for me, very truthfully, when I was just getting into the process of starting to write this book, one of my commitments to myself all the way through was that I will never allow myself to be a teacher who's not steeping himself in the work and the practices to be able to teach them from a place that it's really embodied and, and really lived. There's probably nothing I dislike more than meeting one of my spiritual teachers and seeing that they are totally full of shit, Try, maybe trying the best they can, but you know, and so I was talking to one of my mentors and she said, look, Justin, like, I know you've done all these releasing your habits and, but I think you're missing one of your most distracting habits of all. And I was like, what? I'm thinking, I don't do anything, you know? And she said, it's boys and sex. And I'm looking at her like, ugh, because I actually knew. You know, I knew and I didn't want to face it because it was kind of like the hardest one um, as a as a kid growing up. I, you know, I started having sexual activity really, really young, like single digit age young. And um, sex for me became this mode of validation because I was hiding in the closet, hiding who I was in my own home, shape shifting who I was at school, pretending to be this certain kind of a person who was this guy with girlfriends who was trying to be this popular kid so I wouldn't get teased or so I could be loved and accepted. And it was the boys, the other boys, and sometimes men, who were sexual with me in the backseat of my car in high school, who were the people who like showed love to me, not the Justin who did and presented. And for me, that created this really crazy entanglement between worthiness and validation and sexuality. And I've known this in therapy, and but I just didn't have the courage or the desire or the discipline at first to like give it up. Like, you know, 30-something-year-old dude living in Hollywood, you know, in the music scene, like giving up sex is kind of a big deal, you know? So, but... Brenda, Brenda Via, who is the woman who was my spiritual counselor at the time, she just said, look, Justin, this book is going to require all of your creative energy. You're, you're birthing an entire new life, entirely new life. And it requires every single bit of you so that you can grow the wings that you need to grow so that you can fly. So she said, I don't want you giving up. I don't want you to mute yourself and turn your sexual energy off. I just want you to stop leaking it and redirect it all towards this book and this creative project. And so I did. I was super resistant to it at first, but I first said, okay, I'll do three months. And then I said, oh, wow, this is actually 
I feel the difference here. I feel my power and my energy building. And I did six months and started going to therapy and then did a year. And I'm like still in it now as we're recording this at like 15 or 16 months. And not what was really interesting, Tammy, is this I'm not still in it because I still have a boundary around sex. At, At my year, I said, okay, I'm open. I'm open again. But what happened in that year of me kind of having a reset with my sexual experiences that I, you know, had built upon this from being a nine-year-old boy was it completely changed the way that I relate as a sexual and and relational being. And now I'm not just accepting haphazardly people into my life because I'm lusty or lonely. You know, I've learned to to hone in on the skill of being able to have the discernment to decide whose energy I let into my space. So that's a very real, like present one for me that has had a dramatic shift. And again, is sex bad? Hell no. It's amazing. It's connection. It's passion. It's just a creation. But was it keeping me from elevating to the vibration of who I saw myself becoming as a teacher and a leader? Yes, because when I see myself in my vision as Justin, who is on these stages around the world and helping really be a a beacon of light and healing for people. Is that guy out sleeping with random people? No. You know, that's not what he's doing. And so I had to make the shift to align myself with that. And I'm so grateful that I did. And, and here we are. You know, I mentioned that you call the type of meditation you teach freedom meditation. How Mm -hmm. did you come up with that particular language? Oh, that's interesting. So, Lauren and I actually were talking about it together. Um, and I'll be totally honest with you. I when we wrote when I wrote the book at first, I didn't like care to have a name of med- my meditation. Like that was never a thought in my head. Like, oh, this is the style of meditation that I'm creating. Because what I said was like, well, I'm, I'm not really creating anything new. Like, this is mindfulness based mantra meditation with a new context on it and a mantra that you self generate and. You know, my editor, Jennifer Brown, she was like, yeah, that's different. <laughs> you know, like, I think we need to call this something. And so I was talking with Lauren and he's called his, which, you know, I think the what we lead people to is similar, but we come at it from a very different approach. And he's called his in- instinctive meditation, like learning from your own instincts what it is that you need. And for me, I called it freedom because for me, it's about more than just like your instincts and knowing the mantra. It's about the liberation that comes in your life when you step into the power of of what this practice really is. So for me, honestly, um, I only care about teaching meditation as it is a tool to help people transform their lives. That's Meditation just so happens to be the tool that has worked the most effectively for me. So that's the tool that I use. But for me, it's not even really about meditation. It's about the transformation that occurs because of it. And for me, that's freedom. I picked up on that because as you were talking about the toxic habit transformation in your own life, I thought, wow, you're freeing yourself from these habits that are keeping you from being at your highest expression of who you are. Now, for someone who's listening and they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe they nominated four or five different possible habits they could approach. You know, one of the interesting parts of Stay Woke, Meditation for the Rest of Us, is you talk about how 
you can bring into your meditation questions yeah. that you have. And you describe the difference between low-quality questions and high-quality questions. How could somebody right now create not a low-quality question, but a high-quality question about what toxic habit it's perhaps time for them to let go of? Yes. How do they get clarity about Thank that? Thank you. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So first thing that I'll say, and the reason why meditation is like the glue through this entire book, and I, I really look at it as like a force that helps us go through this, is you could have me write about this whole book and pull meditation out of it. And I'll say, okay, what are your toxic habits like we're doing right now? And then you write about it from your head, right? We're coming at it from, I think this is my toxic habit. But when we bring meditation to the table, now we drop into our heart space and we drop into this knowing that lives deep, deep inside of us. And it's from that place that we want to start identifying what our maybe potential toxic habits are even asking questions in our lives. And so what I ask people to do, and you can do this now or you can do this when we get off this podcast, is to just put your hands over your heart, take a few deep breaths, and really imagine the you that you are in your vision for your life. Like, what does it look like for you to be living the life of your dreams, for you to be in your purpose, for you to be in your calling and your dharma. What does it actually look like? See if you can see what you're wearing in that vision. See if you can see if you're indoor or outdoor and just trust whatever arises. See if there's anyone else there with you in that vision. What's the expression on your face as you are living your purpose? And then we ask ourselves a question. Where am I out of alignment with becoming the person that I see in this vision? And you can ask that version of you. Where am I out of alignment with becoming the person that I see in my vision? And you feel what comes up. And oftentimes what will bubble up is sometimes it'll be something you already knew. But every once in a while it'll be something you don't expect. You know, oftentimes I'll hear people say, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. But what came up for me was I always say yes when I don't mean it, when I meant to say no. Or that I am always gossiping about people. It's things that they didn't think to name. And what I recommend for people right off the bat is not to get too crazy with this like just pick one habit to start with and then you pick a specific number of days that you would commit to releasing it and I say like 40 days kind of minimum but just go a little longer than feels comfortable and then the key like cornerstone of this practice is picking a new habit to replace it with and it doesn't have to be like an equal habit it's not like oh I gave up chocolate so now I'm going to replace it with strawberries it's like I gave up gossiping and now I'm going to start practicing guitar. And the reason I do that is because it's not just by giving up this habit that you're freeing up physical earth time, but you're freeing up the energetic time in your mental and energetic space that's that's holding on to and pushing this old habit forward. And now we want to replace it with something that is actually taking you forward towards your goals and your vision. 
Now, I mentioned this difference between low-quality yeah. questions we can ask ourselves and high-quality questions. How would you define that difference for people? Yeah, so I find oftentimes when people are meditating, they or when they're praying or anything, they ask these questions that are like, even if they found out the answer to them, the question, the answer wouldn't take them anywhere forward. And so the way that I kind of define a difference between a low quality and a high quality question is a low quality question usually just gives you like an answer that leads you to excuses and like, oh, well, this is why I wasn't able to do this or this is why I don't have time for whatever. Where a high quality question um, requires you to take responsibility for your life and gives you steps to be able to take action to make a change for it. And so sometimes people are afraid to ask high quality questions because once you get the answer, then you know you got to do something about it. Can you it. give me a specific example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a low quality question would be, um, okay, so I'll say this. Low quality questions oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes begin with why. Mm -hmm. And high quality questions oftentimes begin with how. Mm -hmm. So... Women oftentimes, this is when I get in class all the time, it's like, well, why can't I lose this weight? Right. Okay. Well, you, okay, you can't lose weight. The answer, let's say you get the best answer. Well, you can't lose weight because you're not making time to work out and you don't like exercising. <laughs> you know? Okay, cool. Got that answer. Now what? But a high quality question is, how can I lose these 15 pounds in a way that is fun and energizing for me? How? You know, and now the answer to that question is going to give you steps that you can take. But what's scary about that is you'll get the answer and then you have to step up to the plate and do it. You know, and if you don't, it's a little bit harder to stomach because now you don't have the excuse of like, oh, well, I just don't like working out or, oh, I just don't have time or it's so hard. So when we ask how, and not every high quality question begins with how, but often I find it does, then the answer that the universe will give us is often something that we can work with to make a change in our lives. I mentioned, Justin, the Stay Woke Give Back Tour, which is a vision that occurred to you mm -hmm. about how to take this book that you've written, this meditation guide for the rest of us, to the people that you envisioned would appreciate and learn from the book that might not naturally walk into a bookstore or think to even go online to purchase it or have the money to purchase it or yeah. it would n never fall into their hands. Yeah. And the Stay Woke Give Back Tour began as a vision to bring this book to the people you really intended it for when you wrote it. So share a little bit about the original vision and the tour. This is, this is I'm so grateful, Tammy, to be doing this part of the project with you. To me, the, the book, I'm so proud of it. It's so beautiful. I'm so amazed by it. And this Give Back Tour is, I think, the thing I'm probably the most excited about because, you know, when we had the idea for people who are for listening, you know, what normally happens when you're writing a book, you finish writing, you get introduced to the marketing team and they start planning a book tour where you go to like indie bookstores or Barnes and Nobles and you do readings and whatever. And cool, you know. But I was like, eh, that's not going to be enough because I'm just going to be this token black guy teaching in, to a bunch of white women in bookstores in the Upper West Side of New York. And I'm fine doing that. And it works. And that's not why I wrote this book, you know. And so they said, all right, well, what's your idea? And so I just went into prayer and I asked a high quality question. I really did. Went into meditation and prayer. And I said, how can I get this book to the people who need it most? How? 
and it just came like a light, like someone plugged a flash drive into my head and gave me everything. And it was even cities. It was even, I mean, you remember when I called you, I had like a whole like download, you know, and it was how can we go to the most impacted cities in the United States, places like Flint, Michigan and Chicago and Atlanta and Oakland and go to high schools and go to colleges and go to community centers and do an event that is actually fun and empowering that involves music and and give the book away to every single person for free. And to do more than just give them a book, but give them actual long-term support with this as well. And creating a, we created a 40-day guided meditation program that people get access to for free as well. And all of this just came rushing through me. And then just the best part was, you know, I'm in Stockholm. I had just finished teaching somewhere there. And I wake up in my meditation in the morning and I had this vision already, but I was like, how am I going to bring this to life? And something in my intuition, a voice quite literally just said, call Tammy. And the funny part about this is, and is, you know, I've told you, I, I didn't even know who, I was like, Tammy? Who's Tammy? And what's funny is like Tammy in my head, I remember when I heard that name, the few Tammies that I know are like black women with braids, you know? So I'm like, who is Tammy? And then I was like, oh, it's Tammy Simon. And you know, we hadn't met, even though I'd been working with the Sounds True team, I didn't have your email address, I didn't have anything. And it just was clear. So that instant, I reached out to one of my friends. I said, can you give me Tammy Simon's email address? Don't worry why I'm asking you for this, even though I'm with this publisher's trust me. And he gave it to me. And I wrote to you and said, I think there's something that you need to know about. Because Spirit gave me such a clear message that you needed to know about this. And then I called you. And I remember I was, I wasn't, I can't say that I was nervous. Um, I was more concerned that, I delivered it right, the way that the message came through. And I was also like, I'm about to call the founder and CEO of my publisher and ask her to give my book away for free, <laughs> you know, after all this stuff. And she's either going to think I'm totally nuts. To tens of thousands of people. Tens of that, not just like a hundred books, but like, you know, the first city we're going to has 3,500 people. And I just will never forget, Tammy, I was standing there on this rooftop and talking to you on the phone. Um... I was actually at Soho House in West Hollywood on the on the balcony. And I remember just talking, kind of waiting for what you were going to say afterwards. And you just said, I think this is amazing. And what you don't know is that we have launched this foundation. And one of our big questions with the foundation, the Sounds True Foundation, is how do we bring some of these teachings to the people who don't have access to or don't even know about Sounds True? And we've been looking for people to carry that torch and to be the vehicle. And I think... You might be the answer to the question we I've been asking. And so you were asking this high quality question in the same energetic space. And then we met at the perfect moment to now launch this tour to the world. So I'm really excited about it. For people who are listening who are interested, you can check out staywokegiveback.org. Currently, Justin will be going to three different cities, Pittsburgh, California, which is your hometown. hometown, also Flint, Michigan, and Atlanta, Georgia. And our hope is that through sponsorship and partnership, as well as through donations, and if people are interested in volunteering, from all of that energy coming to meet the Sounds True Foundation, that Justin can continue 
the Stay Woke Give Back Tour and go to cities like Oakland, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Miami, Chicago, New York. Tell people what will be happening in each one of these cities. Yeah, it's it's really amazing what's going on. So we're doing um, keynote style, like think like a TED Talk mixed with a concert that is very... Um, like gives a tangible takeaway. So I'm not just inspiring people, but my mission and promise with every talk is that every single person who leaves that room will know how to meditate. And yes, they're going to have to meet me there with uh, a commitment to practice it on their own, but I'm going to make sure when they leave that they know how to meditate. So it will be this talk where they learn how to meditate and I involve music. And the reason why I involve music, why that's so important is because it cannot just be about words. It can't. If it was just about words, everybody would be healed, right? And this has to be about getting people to feel and believe and drop into that emotional space where they know something more is possible for them. And the way that we feel, what makes us feel more than anything beyond words is, is music. This is why it's used in every church and religion and ritual throughout history. It's because it gets us to feel. And so I incorporate music really not in a performance way, but in a way that we use it to anchor into our dreams. And then after the event, and this is, this is my favorite thing, I think, about the whole thing, is we created a 40-day guided text messaging-based meditation program. So from the stage, I'll tell the students, every single student who will already be getting a free book and they're getting this event for free, um, text message the word meditate to this phone number. And they'll, from their phones right there, text the word meditate. And every day for 40 days after that, they will get a guided audio meditation that's 12 minutes, super easy for them to do every single day for 40 days to help take them deeper into this practice so they can start to learn some of the principles like compassion and forgiveness and loving kindness and how to deal with anxiety and stress and fear and you know social justice issues and all these different kinds of things and the reason why I wanted to go directly to the students is the many of these schools that we're going to they're in such low income areas where the administration and the teachers are so stretched and so tapped out that I didn't want to come in and say, well, we want to create this meditation program at your school that requires them to spend more money and more resources. So this is a way that we go directly to the kids on their phones, on their devices, and teach them a practice that can really change their lives. Again, I want to let our listeners know that if you're interested in learning more about the Stay Woke Give Back Tour, you can check it out at staywokegiveback.org. And I want to enact my own mantra here a little bit, which has to do with really leading with the energy of my heart. And the Sounds True Foundation is a real heart effort here at Sounds True to make sure that there are not barriers to the type of spiritual education that we make available through the for-profit part of our business. But just in the part about you and your work that's so meaningful to me is that it became apparent to me that just lowering the barriers to our existing products, offering scholarships to programs and certification training programs and donating our books, that, th that it wasn't enough, that in order to reach people in different demographics, we have to meet people where they are. We can't just lower the access 
barrier to where we are. And that's what really moves me about what you're doing in the Stay Woke Give Back Tour is you're hopping on an airplane. You're going to a high school in Pittsburgh, California. You're going to your own hometown to where you grew up with your house with the now legendary bullet holes yeah. outside. Yeah. You know, you're you're going to meet people where they are. And that's what I think is so powerful about this tour. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, so many of us right now with, with, with everything happening in the world, I, I really deeply feel, I know for me, I remember after the last election, just really getting asked asking myself like how do i show up how do i serve how do i take action what do i do you know with everything that's happening today and we're looking at so much and we all have so much agency to take action and you know for me i remember thinking when i i first started going to like black lives matter rallies and and these kind of things and i remember feeling bad because i wasn't organizing protests, you know, or like using my social media to do that. And it was really interesting because I kept asking this high quality question in my meditations, like, how do I use my gifts and my skills and my talents and the things that I really care about to make a positive impact in the world right now? You know, how do I do that? And the answer came so clear to me. It was just, dude, this practice that has changed your life. Like, think about all the people in the world, all the kids in the world. Think about how our lives would have been had we had these tools taught to us at a young age. And right now, there are kids who are getting taught this at a young age, but they are, tend to be the kids who are in private schools or in the most privileged environments whose parents have disposable income to be able to go to retreats and do all this kind of stuff. And that's just not the reality for a lot of people. And so for me, the big, the, the heart intention for this book was... Let's get it to them because my, my hope is that these kids can look back at that moment when I'm on the stage and in the room with them and say, that was a moment where something shifted for me. That was a moment where I knew something greater was possible outside of what the media is showing me and outside of what the fear around me is showing me, outside of what I even see in my own home. There's something more and this is how I access it. And so I think that for me, this was my what do I do, you know? And, and I think that with so many of us asking that, it just feels like the biggest blessing to be able to bring the community in on this where so many of us are asking that same question so that we all can do something that I think for many of us is in full alignment with our values and our vision for the world. Again, join us, staywokegiveback.org. I've been talking with Justin Michael Williams, He's the author of a new book, Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us. Justin, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a
kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world 